Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency designed Future Formula, a personalized anti-aging formula prescribed by a dermatology provider to treat fine lines, wrinkles, dark spots, and more. Agency has clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than over-the-counter retinol. Future Formula by Agency. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. Hello and welcome to series three of Out with Susie Ruffle with me, Susie Ruffle. Hello, uh, I'm very excited that the podcast is back. We've got a whole new series, some fantastic guests lined up, and I'm very excited to share it all with you. I hope that you're doing okay. I mean, it's hard to believe we're still in another state of lockdown when we started this podcast back in March last year. When we were in lockdown one, I definitely didn't think that when we were going into the third series, we'd still be living in such an unusual way. But here we are. And I hope that you're coping with it okay. I am still going on a lot of walks, a lot of walks. I might be bored of walking, but I'm lucky to have some green space around me. I know that. Um, thanks to everyone that's been in touch. Uh, in the series break and at the end of the last series it seemed that loads and loads of you really enjoy the show and I'm so delighted I'm so so delighted and I'm so proud of this uh, of this little show and that people within the community and our allies are enjoying it so much so thank you if you do want to rate and review I know that every podcast says this I know it's so dull but if you rate and review it does really help people find it which is really useful to us here at out um, please tweet and Instagram. It's always super helpful. And if you have, I appreciate that so much. And thank you to so many of you that have got in touch. We get so many emails and honestly, I read every single one of them and I really appreciate people getting in touch and people reaching out and sharing their stories with me. And before we get on with today's episode, which is a brilliant conversation with Rose and Rosie, uh, very famous, very brilliant British YouTubers. Let's share some emails. Now, before we begin, I also want to say something. Loads of you have got in touch with some brilliant guest suggestions. And I want you to know that I've reached out to loads of the people you've suggested. I've reached out to loads of people within the sports world. Um, some people have been in touch about wanting to get um, another trans guy's perspective. Um, I've reached out to some trans guys. I'm hoping that they'll get back to me. Obviously, with this podcast, all I can do is reach out and ask for people to be on it. Um, so I'm sorry if the people that you've suggested haven't come up. That's often because maybe they don't have time. Maybe they will in the future. But I really appreciate getting your suggestions. And I always take them really seriously. And I very often reach out. But, uh, but I don't know everyone. I don't know everyone. Do you know someone that you think I should interview? If you do, let me know. Okay, let's get on with some listener emails. Dear Susie, I hope you're well. I wanted to get in touch and say thank you to you and the team at Keep It Like Media for the podcast. 
My wife and I recently moved from the UK to live in a very remote house up a mountain in Portugal. So in a way, I've gone from one form of isolation to another. And during this time, your podcast has been such a comfort and joy. I'm trying to ration the episodes, but so far I've loved them all. And I'm really looking forward to series three. There's something so quietly reassuring in hearing stories of your guests and picking out similarities and differences in their coming out stories and my own. I grew up in the 90s in a very working class area in Newcastle and learned quickly that being gay was synonymous with being bad or wrong. I have a very vivid memory of playing with a group of kids who lived on my street. We were playing with a football and an old lady drove over the ball we'd been kicking about and it burst. As her car turned the corner, I loudly tutted at the driver and exclaimed, lesbian. One of the older boys turned to me and shouted, that's my nana and she's not a lesbian, you are. He was right. But being only a child at the time, it would take me another decade to learn and understand the meaning of the word. And though the true definition was lost on me, at six years old, I already knew that being a lesbian was a very powerful and very bad thing to be. I went through primary school being completely disinterested in boys, but kissing them anyway, as it seemed to be the thing to do. It wasn't until secondary school when I developed feelings for my, surprise, surprise, PE teacher, (laughs) that I realised something was not right. I felt confused and was certain I was the only person in the world with these kind of unusual feelings. My school was an all-girls school and was previously a convent school. The grounds were littered with rows of graves belonging to nuns who used to run the school and I was certain I would soon join them because if anyone found out my secret I was sure to die of shame. I would find out years later that my school was wall-to-wall lesbians and we were all stewing in our own hell pretending to like the boys and learning how to do a slamming French plat as a kind of cloaking device for our gayness. I can joke about it now, but I hit my sexuality at 18 when I was very gay, very self-assured. A friend told me that I should just get over it and come out and that everything would be fine. High on the optimism of youth and six episodes of The L Word, I went home feeling that coming out surely couldn't be as painful as hiding who I truly was and the threat of a loveless future. I decided to come out to my mum first and wanting to get it over and done with, I blurted it out that I had something to tell her Then unable to say what it was, I made her guess. She asked if I was pregnant, and when I shook my head, we both knew that it was almost unnecessary to ask the same question. We were certain what was next on the list. I started to cry, and it confirmed that she already knew I was gay. I curled up into a ball because I couldn't bear to look at her. She was so shocked and paled and didn't say anything. I asked her through tears, do you still love me? Of course, she replied, and gave me a big cuddle. I made her promise not to tell my dad, not just yet. I needed a couple of days to figure out what I wanted to say. The time came and I sat down in front of the telly, ready to tell my dad that I was gay. When I found out, my mum had already gotten there first. I opened up by saying that I had something to tell him. So is it true? He said. I nodded and looked at my feet. I thought he'd be angry and was preparing to grab my bag and some clothes before being thrown out. The expected tirade didn't come. I looked up to see him with his head in his hands, sobbing. I'd never seen my dad cry. He'd lost his father to cancer and his sister to an unexpected heart attack a few years prior, but despite this, I had never seen him shed a tear. Until now, I had broken my dad. He recovered enough to wipe his tears, apologise for crying and give me a big hug. He explained to me that he was only upset because he'd spent years imagining my life with a career, a loving family and children, and it never occurred to him there could be an alternative life plan. But, he said, I suppose you could have all those things with a woman, couldn't you? He was right, but the damage was done. I was mortified at having upset my family so much, and my shame increased tenfold. I resolved to go back into the closet to a life of loveless, unfulfilling relationships with men. I ended up in a relationship with a guy I'd kissed at primary school all those years before. He was caring and safe, and for a while the relationship worked, but I was racked with self-doubt and insecurity. And after a year, things began to fall apart. The relationship ended. 
He dumped me and I flew into sheer panic, trying desperately to convince him we should get back together. I cried, I pleaded, but there was no going back. It took me years to realise that the end of this relationship had stoked so much fear and panic because it meant that I would have to stop hiding and start facing the truth about my sexuality. I struggled with feeling abandoned, I lost weight and had some very dark thoughts, but after years of not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, I enrolled in a fine art course and life at university was a welcome distraction to the sadness and shame I still wasn't ready to consider. I struggled through my first year at uni and slowly began to feel more open and accepting of myself. I had a few brief and heady flings with women, but it wasn't until my mid-twenties when I met a woman I would go on to marry that I finally found the peace within myself to come out again at 24. I met my wife at an art gallery we both worked at, and within hours of meeting her I knew she was a woman I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. She was already in a long-term relationship when we first met, but I was patient and I was there as a shoulder to cry on when the relationship came to an end six months later. We started dating and it felt so pure and right that my joy was simply uncontainable. I knew that I was going to have to come out again. I'd spent the last five years pretending to be straight and my relationship with my family was fairly stable. We talked about mundane, trivial things and watched telly in silence. We didn't talk about the time I tried to come out as gay. It had clearly just been a phase. But now I was happy, I was in this amazing relationship with a woman and although I didn't want to deny my sexuality and hide my true feelings from myself, my family was another matter. I couldn't help thinking about all the sadness and upset I'd caused the first time round. So I distanced myself from everyone. Even though I lived fairly close to my parents, I stopped visiting them almost entirely. My nana, who was a huge part of my life and the person I was worried most about telling my secret to, started seeing less and less of me. After a few months of absence, my family were really concerned. On one of the rare visits to my parents' house, my mum confronted me to ask if there was anything wrong. Tired of hiding and feeling like a liar, I decided I couldn't keep it to myself anymore. I told her I was in a relationship and she probably wouldn't like it because my partner was a woman. My mum became still and quiet. It was different quiet than before. She seemed calm and unfazed. Smiling, she took my hand and said that she just wanted me to be happy. I wasn't sure how to feel. The news trickled through the family this time when it got round to my dad, he was completely fine with the news. Truth be told, he just wanted to be left alone to watch the football. My sister called me one day to say, Jade, you're gay. I mean this in the nicest possible way. I really don't care. I just had to laugh. We chatted on the phone for a while before she told me. Nana knows. Do you know what she said, Jade? She said out of all of her grandkids, she loves you the most because you need it most. I cried. It was mainly tears of joy, relief and acceptance, but also a slow realisation that of everyone in my family, no one could have been harder on me than I had been to myself. In 2017, I was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, and I can't help but think that this only compounded my feelings of an otherness that were already present because of my sexuality. I spent the last few years learning to accept this newly revealed part of myself, and I now realise that there are so many elements of our lives, both internal and external, that we can't control. Sometimes there are things in life that are already decided for you. Sometimes you get to be the decision maker. I've decided to give myself every opportunity to be happy with who I am. Thanks for taking the time to read what has turned out to be a very long email. I'm looking forward to the next series of the podcast. I think I can speak for all of your listeners when I say it means more to us than you could ever know. Lots of love, Jade. Ah. You said you don't mind me mentioning your name, so thanks for that. Jade, I loved that email. I absolutely loved it. And, I mean, you have also have a lovely turn of phrase. There were moments that really made me laugh. Um, but thanks so much for sharing that. I think it really shows how how we can be hardest on ourselves. And it's so lovely to hear that about your nan and my nan, who 
um, I lost a few years ago now had a very similar reaction to me coming out. She didn't say that I was her favourite in case any of my cousins are listening, but she did, but she didn't care, I guess. She didn't care and she did say how much she loved me and it meant more to me than anyone will ever know. So thank you, Jade, for sharing your story and I hope wherever you are up that mountain in Portugal, you're having an okay time in lockdown. Okay, let's have another one. Hi there, Susie. I know season two of the pod has just finished, but I decided to drop you an email anyhow. I wanted to say thank you so much for giving me a sense of community at the end of 2020. I came a little late to the pod at the start of December, and it's been really helpful and a bit of a relief at the end of a difficult year. I am non-binary, queer, and neurodivergent. Like many other queer and trans people, I feel I've spent my entire life coming out in one way or another. Firstly, going down the route of my sexuality, and then finally embracing different shades of grey within my gender. Sadly, I don't have many queer local friends. I'm in a unique position that my alphabet mafia chosen family, my LGBTQIA plus friends, are all abroad. It was a happy accident that I found them. And while we keep in touch with daily group messages, it's not been the same with the pandemic as I have done the responsible thing and grounded myself from all travelling. I've spent the majority of the last nine months indoors with my cat, Gypsy Danger. And while I have a lot of eclectic interests, I have become starved of queer company. Just how starved I was wasn't something I was fully aware of until I began listening to your podcast and felt my shoulders drop a little and the tightness in my chest ease. Even though I'm 31 now and I've been out of the closet for 16 years, I sometimes forget that there's nothing as validating as having your identity and story reflected back at you by someone else. The podcast has been incredibly valuable to me and I'm sure many others in a similar position. Thank you so much for reminding me there's enough space for everyone to coexist and that queer identities, no matter how much or little they disrupt the expected norm, are valid. Thanks again and I look forward to seeing you in series three. All the best, Leo. In the unlikely event that you read this on the pod, you may use my name. It wasn't unlikely at all. I read it, Leo. Thank you so much for getting in touch and I'm so pleased that this podcast has been a little part of community for you. And I'll be honest with you all. It's been it's been that for me too. Um, I'm the person that's lucky enough that gets to make it. But having all these interviews and sharing your stories and receiving emails has been it's been a huge benefit to um, to me and my mental health and to my sense of community and who I am this year. Well, last year and this year now, isn't it? So thank you, thank you to everyone that gets in touch. As I said before, your emails really do mean a lot to me. Okay let's have today's chat. I'm very excited for this one. Um, We had a real laugh recording this and um, there's lots of funny bits and uh, lots of important messages too and so I'm really excited to share it with you. Here is my chat with the brilliant Rose and Rosie. Rose and Rosie are brilliant British YouTubers. They are also married. They release weekly entertainment videos and they have nearly a million subscribers. They are funny, endearing, and never afraid of oversharing, which for someone as nosy as me is brilliant. They have hundreds of thousands of fans across the globe. They've released a book, a documentary, and they have their own podcast, Rose and Rosie Parental Guidance, about their journey to parenthood. They even shared their beautiful wedding with the world, which has been watched 2.3 million times. Put frankly, they're a massive deal. I met them on a rooftop in New York at World Pride, which is easily the coolest sentence I have ever said. What a joy it is to have them on the podcast today. Welcome to the show, Rose and Rosie. Wow. (laughs) What an intro. Possibly the best one we've ever had. The best one we've ever had. (laughs) Um, I feel wonderful. Oh, that's good. <laughs> good, I'm pleased. Well, I only have people on the podcast that I actually genuinely want on there. Oh, that's so, nice. When oh. people get in touch and say, can I do it? The answer is usually, <laughs> I, I haven't reached out, and so I'm just going to ignore this because it's quite awkward. Um, 
<laughs> but we did meet on a rooftop, which is we did. pretty cool. It's really very cool. cool. It's really cool. It makes me feel... It makes me feel very young, you know, very young. And I could do with that lately, honestly. So I'm, I'm living I, for it. I was with Tom Allen and I said, oh, there's Rose and Rosie. And he said, who are they? And I said, they are very famous lesbians. Ah! <laughs> or, although I know, no, I don't know. I think one of you identifies as bisexual, so I'd be very careful there to not, uh, to not put anyone in any boxes they don't want to be in. I mean, you, you, are, you are enormously successful. Oh, wow. Um, Susie, you, know you it, yeah. are a stand-up comedian who's on TV. Yeah, that's not something you know, we do. So yeah. I think you're successful. You are, so you're more, no, you are. Yeah, do you know what? <laughs> Guys, I'm a massive deal. Yeah. Thank, do you know what? That's, that's great. I'm really We're delighted trying, to have this interview's gone. I think that's the distinction. Well, no, I don't, I, I mean, I think that's ridiculous because, I mean, I don't know, no, I don't want to get into the YouTube stuff immediately because obviously that's, I, I also, you will notice I gesticulate a lot whilst I'm interviewing someone. It's sort of like I'm conducting a very small orchestra behind your heads, which I am. <laughs> Okay. Um, I, I want to get into the YouTube stuff and the fact that I feel like I know you, which I said is like, we, we do, we, we have met each other and um, I've actually been on your podcast, but yes. I do feel like I know you because of listening to your podcast. So I now have this strange sort of, um, I, I fear that I'm going to be too pally. Oh as God. the interview goes on. You can never be too pally. That's what I think. I think that's that's something that we try to carry through our entire lives. You can never be too pally with people until yeah. it, until you do and it gets weird though. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't want you to get off this call and be like, fucking hell, Ruffles a bit much, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> no, we've already been there. We've said it, we've moved on. So yeah. we're, we're, we've already bitched <laughs> about you like yeah. so much. So yeah. <laughs> Now, I'm very aware that there'll be listeners to this that know sort of everything about you because you have quite loyal fans. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair to say. And also, though, it's not just that. I think because, you know, we started online talking about everything, everything, everything. I think mm. there's not much more to say. Well, there's always more to say, but I feel like... Yeah, we've yeah, got no secrets, we've basically. Got, exactly, we've got no secrets. So I may cover stuff that has been covered okay. previously okay. In, in your YouTube journey. But first of all, I want to start with, um, and I've already uh, said I, I've never interviewed two people at the same time before, so uh, watch me watch me spinning these plates, guys. <laughs> um, but, so where did you both grow up? Presuming you didn't sort of get birthed somewhere together and become best friends yeah. and then <laughs> grow up into lovers. Which no, is sort of how um, it feels. So I grew up in ross on wye which is a tiny, tiny little town, um, quite close to the Welsh border. ross on wye would anyone live there? Rosie you know what I mean? Lo she <laughs> loves that joke. She loves it. Um, so I grew up there. Nothing was happening. It's very boring, very small town vibes. And, uh, and Rosie grew up in Malvern, which is only about 40 minutes sort of north of Another there. small town, but not quite as small as ross on wye You know, Malvern had things. Yeah. Like, I think Rose said to me that when she went to college in ross on wye there was like you know, one vending machine. Yes. And you came to my uni. There was like you, and you were like, cafeteria. wow, there's several vending machines. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. You're living the life. You're like a city girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we weren't actually very far from each other. We just didn't know each other until, no. well, until we met through a, I'm going to call her a mutual friend. We, yeah. Uh, we kind of dated the same girl. Yeah. And Rose, Rose we... had a serious relationship with her and I. Classic. Had serious, a non-serious relationship. Seriously yeah. disappointing relationship. She was the bridge, <laughs> yeah. She was the bridge between in two small towns. That's it. So we got a connection through that. A very angry bridge. Yeah. But, but what are you to do when literally there is literally probably only one other lesbian in the village? That's exactly, um, exactly right, Rosie. You what know, are you're you going to, to cross paths. You are. And that's how we met. Of course, it goes without saying. So what, what kind of children were you? Ah. Oh, stunning. Um, <laughs> I mean, that goes without saying. 
that's a really both of you, of course. interesting and strange question. You know what? That's a really good question. I've never been asked. I'm yeah. going to say, I'm going to step right up here and say that I was probably quite an insecure, very shy child. Um, really into the arts, really artistic, um, but very not not very confident not very confident in myself at all i'm um, a tomboy i'd say tomboy i used to want to just hang with the boys i exclusively pretty much had boy only friends and i didn't feel very comfortable in like a, a girly girl scenario in school. Mm. So I was kind of like a bit of a floater. I hate referring to a myself floater. as a floater, but I was, I kind of drifted, drifted between sort of like little social groups. Um, so that was me. What were you like? I think I was a loud, dramatic. <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> annoying <laughs> child, teenager. Um, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, you, you I, yeah, were prom flirty, queen though. as prom queen. Yeah, that was not what I was. <laughs> From Queen, so were you quite yeah. Rosie? Were you quite popular at school? Um, do you know I don't know. Rose is nodding her head. I think I see you as Miss Popular. That's how really? you came across. Whether they all hated you is another story, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you, you appeared to have a lot of friends. Um, I had a like big reputation, and I don't really know how I got that reputation. Well, but like people, people knew who, who you were. Yeah, but That's people nice. in other years knew who I was, and I was like, who are you? Um, oh, wow, no one knew who but, I was. <laughs> but I didn't, like, do anything. I was just being me. Yeah, I think I, you were just confident. Yeah, I, think I was very loud and confident. Yeah, very loud and confident. Yeah. So, Rose, you being sort of insecure and mm. sort of a bit <laughs> shyer... Yes. Do you think that that was... Was that sort of linked to your sexuality? Oh, certainly. I, I think so. I mean, I always started off quite shy as a child, ever since I got told off at a National Trust exhibition <laughs> yes. for crossing over the red rope. A and scarred there, rope for life, genuinely. Life. But in terms of sexuality, I feel like... <laughs> I was never really very comfortable within myself and I never really knew why. And I think that that kind of, that just that thing I couldn't really quite put my finger on, really, I carried that for a really long time until I was sort of early teens, I think, and I realised, oh, I'm gay. <laughs> so was it before that you knew you were different and you didn't know why before? Different as in very special, yes, but also different to my other peers also because, yeah, I feel like I couldn't really understand what my feelings meant and, I, and therefore I couldn't really place myself within friendship groups, within school, within any, anything. I just, I wasn't really comfortable being anything because I wasn't sure what it was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I, I think, I think definitely my, my sexuality came into my, you know, shyness, my, my, my lack of confidence. Um, and then it was only really when I realised that I was gay and I thought, oh, do you know what? That's actually, that's, that's okay. When I was about 14, um, that's when I really sort of began to be be more confident and think, yeah, well, do you know what? That's just who I am and that's actually really great. And I'm not going to tell anyone yet because I, I want to keep that my special secret, live with it for a while, become more confident and I'll tell people when I'm ready. So, so I don't know, I don't know whether you feel similar to me and to other people that have been on the show that there wasn't an awful lot of sort of gay female representation oh, no. out there Nothing. as There's no a teenager. I mean, um, it was very limited. I had the Willow and Tara story arc of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Of course. Which of course. was which was actually my staple coming out pair that I just, I, I really latched myself onto emotionally because I was like, well, you know what, if Willow's doing it and she's doing like the dark arts, that's all very cool. The dark um, arts. So I thought, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I'm very, I can relate to this. So that was the one thing that I had and you know what I, I know people say you know 
you know, oh, that show saved my life or you know, even somewhat about our content too. I don't want to like blow my own trumpet here, but people say, you oh, know, you really helped me. And I think, oh, that's nice. But when you really think about it, that, that show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, really did help me, you know, yeah. and, and people need to have that representation to, to, to be comfortable sometimes with themselves. But before Buffy, there was literally no one. No, like, I, I don't think there was. Well, I don't. I, not in my lifetime. I not that I knew of. There was no TV shows. When I got a bit older, um, there was like the odd... Hollyoaks storyline, which yeah. wouldn't last sure. that long. But they'd be in Hollyoaks lates, of course. Yes, yeah, of course. yeah, exactly. And didn't she fall? <laughs> didn't she do a, a, a jump from a plane and then die? But they killed her yes, off pretty they quickly. Yes, they killed off the, the first, like... Oh, they, the they love lesbian. killing off lesbians. They do yeah. love it. They and do. wasn't there a guy who came out as gay and he also died? Oh, probably. They're probably yeah. all dead. Yeah, they're all dead. Yeah. Um, so when I when I grew up, I was quite confidently bisexual. I knew I was bisexual. And, you know, I never know where I heard the word to yeah. describe mm. it. I don't remember. I was just like, yeah, that's me. Was it MySpace? I don't know. I don't... I've no idea but I just went into school like I'm like high school like I am bisexual and I told everybody I love that you had the confidence to do that well Susie it wasn't the confidence it was the lack of foresight you know it's the lack of thinking <laughs> so this is the thing I was this very loud confident person and uh, but I never really thought hmm you know how are people around me I've got a question thinking for you, about me it's mildly problematic mm-hmm. do you think it's easier to come out as bisexual in school as opposed to come out as a lesbian yes but also like oh it's so annoying like loads of people said they were bi in school and then like I'm now, now say they're not guilty and then yeah, guilty, oh, yeah. guilty. Nice, no, nice. so I don't mind if well, you say actually, you're bi that wasn't at school it was a bit later but I, mm, I definitely yeah. had the yeah the, the stepping stone the stepping stone the journey yeah. I don't mind sure. if someone queer says they're bi and then later comes out as gay because maybe yeah. they genuinely thought they were bi That's maybe true. they were hoping they were bi <laughs> and I do understand that it's a way to ease family yes. and other people in I know you're gonna I say I still like men but I don't but, but you hate it when straight people say they're bi for attention for attention which, yeah. which also ha- happened um, it did happen back in the day a lot didn't it, it? I think it's there was I do a lot of that happens. with pop stars wasn't there mm. oh my god or Jesse J there was a lot of that with sort of Jesse yeah, yeah Jesse J I mean I, I'm, I'm actually quite I'm still quite annoyed about that yeah oh, I really <laughs> am she literally is like no it was a phase and um, also things like um, it's like that's very unhelpful that's very unhelpful to the cause mate yeah, yeah it, it is it is and, it's very um, unhelpful I don't know what Katy Perry identifies as, but obviously she made that song, I kissed a girl and I liked it, and then kind of just married a man and then married another man. She and... didn't like it that much, did yeah, she? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. So oh. I, I was, I did tell everybody, and but but I think also I, it's part of, the reason I told everybody was I couldn't hold it in, like people just knew. Like yeah. I, I'm not very good at <laughs> hiding my emotions. So no, everybody knew. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but there was no one. And then when I went to uni, I studied media and cultural studies and we did um, classes on gay actors. And uh, my teacher was like, you know, um, do you think it's, you know, do you think there are loads of closeted actors? Um, and we were like, no. And they were like, OK, so name some out gay actors. And no one, I remember no one could name one no person. One. All, all I could well, think of is Ellen DeGeneres, who's not really an actor. It's funny though, because naively when I was younger... Uh, much younger than I am now, I didn't think that being out would affect my career in any way. Because I thought, well, how, how ridiculous. Of course it won't. That's so, that's so prehistoric. That doesn't happen anymore. And um, it's actually only as I've gotten to this stage that I realise, actually, it, it affects you quite a lot still. But what, what's you know. frustrating is it it does affect you. 
it is a thing that affects you, you know, like with intersectionality, mm. being part of the LGBTQ plus community affects your life. But then there are these people like Jessie J who then benefit from it by boosting their career and maybe their demographic by saying, yeah, I'm bi. And then when it doesn't suit them anymore, like, no, that was just a phase. Ah, but like, you, have you, know, to, you, you have to admit, though, um, back in the earlier days of YouTube, sort of around 2015, 2016, we would never get a brand deal. And our management at the time, we had several mm. different managements, they'd always say the same thing. Oh, you two are difficult to place. And I, I yeah. knew what they meant. They meant, oh, you're gay. Mm. You're married. We don't know how to market you. We don't know yeah. what you are. <laughs> and we were like, OK, well, we'll tell you where to place us. We have a gaming channel so we could promote games. Yeah. We were like, we have a lifestyle vlog channel so we could do like food, lifestyle like products. We like tech. We like yeah. food. And they we were like, like Yes, but this, you're very difficult to place, mm. to sell yeah. to. And, and um, yeah, yeah it's, it's funny, now things are opening up and we get yeah. opportunities now and we're yeah. treated more as equals. But yeah, definitely, <laughs> but I think the one thing about being on this podcast and being in our 30s is, yeah, we can remember how difficult it was. Yeah, it was difficult at the beginning. When I was at drama school, I remember one of the teachers saying to me, you should say you're bisexual because it'll be easier for casting rather than being out. I mean, which now I'm like, God, I wish you hadn't done that when I was in such a formative place as a 20-year-old. Right. Vulnerable, right. Um, that's, yeah, that's but, I, but when I had um, Laura Checkley, who's an actress on the show last series, we had like a big conversation about sort of coming out at drama school and the, and the fact that for a long time she was quite concerned that she'd only ever be cast in gay roles and yeah, she's in right. King Gary now which is and playing King Gary's wife but yeah it's interesting how scared people were to like mm. pigeonhole a brand on something or you mm. know to, to be something specific so did you you came out as bisexual at school did you come out at school as well Rose? No no I came out when I was about oh I, I think I was 16 to my sister and then 19 to the rest of my family and my friends but again I came out as bisexual because I thought it would be easier to swallow for everybody else um right but I, it, yeah it was it was quite tricky because um I, I well my sister was great. She was really, really supportive as ever. And um, uh, my, my parents, were. it took them some time, but they mm-hmm. are fully on board now. And obviously, you know, it takes everybody a little time to adapt, especially when you have an idea of how you think your child's going to be. And when that sort of deviates, it, you know, it must be a bit of a shock at first. So all is forgiven <laughs> but um but yeah then when I told my friends it was um it was really it was almost boring it was so they were so unaffected and um and there was really no drama which is a bit of a shame what's interesting is Rose is when you finally came out you came out as bisexual yes. to ease it in I yeah. told everyone I was bisexual and then when I started up my relationship with Rose I bumped into an old flame at a club that was a, a man and he was like oh hi Rose yeah here you're lesbian now so it's like, oh, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what you say. Yeah, yeah. You, you are know? a lesbian, now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. It's 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 a weird one. But um, I think, generally speaking, our coming out experiences they they weren't too traumatic, were they? They weren't too bad. They weren't too bad. Obviously, we've we've had our hurdles, you know, as as a lesbian and a bisexual woman. But um, generally speaking, I think we were we had it pretty good yeah yeah and so now you're out in sort of a very public way so let's talk a little bit about that so is it true that you started your youtube channel rose because of uni or something trying to get something to go viral that's it so i had to make a music video um basically 
I did film and screen media at uni and um, one of the modules was all about sort of like online content. And this was before sort of YouTube was a, a, a real sort of arena of competitive, I want to be famous. You know? I, well, I've said this to you girls before, but I distinctly remember someone saying to me when I first started comedy, you should get a YouTube channel. And I remember saying, that won't go anywhere. And so, <laughs> you know, I've always really had my finger on the pulse with the next, right. the next big thing. But yeah, you clearly had the foresight to see that it was going to be... Well, well, not the foresight. No, you were told to do it. Not really. I was. I was exactly that. I was. I was <laughs> told right, to do it. For my, <laughs> thank you, Rosie. So yeah. So I did it as a module for um, a part of my university degree, and um, it was all about you know how do you make something go viral, blah blah blah. And I I started it really um, as a bit of a hobby because I wanted like a creative outlet, a bit of a platform just to be silly, and um, and it it kind of just snowballed. And then I met Rosie, and I honestly just used it as an excuse to make videos with Rosie so I could see her. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, I've got this YouTube channel. We can be funny on it and stuff and you know we'll have to get together every week and make a video I mean no one's watching but whatever but it was not for a career like we didn't know you could make money from it we didn't know um, I don't think you could back then though. no we weren't making any money we were just doing it yeah, we certainly and we <laughs> and also I didn't think we we didn't realize like the reach of what we were doing and so we would literally sit there and talk about everything very candidly no barriers not <laughs> thinking about people judging us online or who would see this or what would happen but, but we just did fair, it to be fair to us though i still feel like we create content with that the kind of like same vibe yeah we do but obviously now you have to be more careful about you know uh being responsible for the things you talk about and the things yeah. that you say and also you know demonetization and you know is it suitable for everybody so there, there are slightly more sort of limitations but we, we've always just said everything you know shared everything and that's just kind of just yeah, who and, we are I and guess. people started watching and I honestly don't know how but we immediately garnered an LGBTQ plus audience I so, don't know why so <laughs> I think I don't know how they found us also um, on YouTube you tag your videos right like you, hashtag like lesbian couple but same sex couple we didn't tag our videos because we didn't use that feature we just like didn't, I didn't even we didn't write do in it the description properly. box yeah like, you're meant to write like what the video is about we didn't have like um it's called metadata yeah we didn't do any of the seo any of the metadata we didn't do it properly we, we literally didn't would just upload a video and somehow all these people found us and um were asking us questions about our relationship and stuff and that was quite daunting for me as well because Rose was my first proper like girlfriend and then we've ended up getting married. Yeah. So that was quite scary as well because it, it didn't put pressure on it, but it was weird. Do you think it helped our relationship at all? Sorry, I'm being the interviewer. Um, um, <laughs> no, this is great. It's well, like I'm just at your house and I'm just watching. <laughs> well, I'll never know if it did because... So this is an interesting thing about me and Rose. So as soon as we started dating, literally the second date, I think, Rose got whipped the camera out and we filmed a video. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, I tell you what, I've been on other dates yeah. where someone's whipped out a camera, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not. Yeah. I mean, I didn't and then let we happen, made a YouTube video. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, after that we made a YouTube video. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, so um, Rose is saying, you know, do you think it affected our relationship? I'll never know because I've, we've never done our relationship without YouTube. Obviously, one day we will because one day I'm not going to work to the rest of my life. You know, one day. <laughs> There'll yeah, be an you are, Rosie. I'm retiring. Yeah, I'm going to make you work. <laughs> um, so have you done a video every week since then? Not every week, because we didn't used to do it every week, because we were both at uni and stuff, so yeah. Rose would drive yeah. over and we'd film a couple of videos. We're pretty consistent, but, um, though. After we've been doing it for a couple of years, an agency approached Rose and was like, hey, um, 
you know, we can sign you. We're very naive, and they like took a really high percentage uh, for <laughs> no like for doing nothing. They took fifty percent. So this is when we started earning money, and it became a thing. And they were like, um, "This is years later. Like we did it for years, not making any money, just like mm. chilling out." Mm. Um, and then people, this agency approached us and was like, "Right, you really should try and make a video once a week." And we were like, oh, "Okay," but we had jobs, we had uni, mm. and we we're like, "Okay, we'll try." But obviously, we have missed weeks. So not every week, but for ten years in October, I'd say we did. All we right. started dating. 10 years in October we've, we've been making videos and we still enjoy doing it and yeah, I think that unbelievably. that's why we're still doing it though because I think as yeah. soon as you start hating your job it's, it's time just, to move it's on time to, yeah. it's time to yeah. if you're in the position to stop then maybe think about stopping we've always said if we didn't enjoy it um, mm. then we'd stop and we always said as well we put our relationship before the job you can get another mm. job but yeah. I mean, you can get another relationship, but can you get another relationship like ours? You know, absolutely I... <laughs> not. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So we those are our kind of rules. Yeah. Like, if we're not enjoying it, we will stop doing it, and and if it affects our relationship, we put the relationship first. Yeah. Like, I genuinely think you guys have done such a brilliant job of like normalizing lives like ours. Oh, like, you. I think it's no, but I think it's really important. Like, you know, I know that when you know I get up on stage, I want to just be able to talk about have. Like, I just want to be funny. And I, I happen to have a girlfriend and I happen to be, you know, but I just want our lives to be normal. So yes. I haven't got to go, here's loads of coming out material. Here, I, mean, sure. I appreciate I'm saying this on a coming out podcast, which I did create, but <laughs> let, let, let's gloss over that. But, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, certainly like, oh my God, if I was like 15 now and you guys existed, I would have saved quite a lot of money in therapy. Oh. Like, because oh. I think I would have been like, oh, well, I might meet someone that's really lovely and have a really oh. happy time together. That's so nice. And so... Is there like, let's start with this question. Do you ever, have you ever felt like you've overshared too much? Because I love how much you overshare. And I do that because I'm a stand-up. I, you know, I'm always talking. <laughs> no, I don't feel no. like we have. I've never regretted anything that I've shared. Um, no. You know. Anything you put online. Half my address. No, I'm <laughs> and, Anything you put online, someone has an opinion about it. And so right, there might be someone okay. out there who twists your words or something like that. Uh, but I think we've come to realise that, you know, not everyone in the world's going to like us, but I'm not going to change myself to cater to people. And do you know what's it's really a dangerous funny? game. What's really funny is it's only now, at this point in our career, um, after 10 years, that we, we have started to develop a slightly thicker skin maybe mm. it's the, the mm. climate at the moment maybe it's maybe it's the pandemic but you know the internet is quite um turbulent it's quite sensitive at the moment which is understandable you know you we, we have overshared our entire lives and um and now i think we're at the stage where if we do say something we think oh is that is that okay to share and we are more kind of like you know thinking about yeah is that okay but i think um, that's nice though because it's just being responsible it's being responsible it's yeah. being respectful but i i don't regret anything that i have shared no. uh, up until now no not at all no. i think i think that's I, th I well i hope that's why our channel is seemingly popular with people because you know we, we we don't really have a filter and we've always been very honest about who we are and i i started the channel being openly out as a lesbian because as you said susie i just wanted it to be normalized i didn't want to make it a gay channel i mean i it mm -hmm. probably is a gay channel but i'm not here preaching about you know it's okay to be gay like i'm just doing it and if if, if someone else has got a problem that's their problem you know and i think that's the yeah. kind of ethos that yeah. we, we've tried to sort of like really bring through over the last 10 years do you get much or have you over the last decade because i'm sure it's changing constantly but have you experienced much homophobia no 
I, I not online. No, we, um, we do. We get a, the a very occasional uh, homophobia that we get is not our audience. So if we did a video that went viral mm. that got you know a, a million hits or more, yeah, um, and it's not our usual audience who tunes in kind of weekly to see what we're up to, um, then you get comments and it's starkly obvious that it's not our audience. Do you read comments? We do read yeah. comments. Yeah, we absolutely <gasps> read yeah. and we respond yeah. and yeah, because yeah. you know. That's the point. It's we're making this yes. for our audience, and we talk to our audience, and, we're and we engaged, ask them what they want. Know. Yeah, um, but yeah, mm. you can tell who's writing the comments, and um, sometimes they're like just stuff like, "Oh, you know, it's a sin, and you're going to go to hell." <laughs> it's normally stuff like that. Save yourself. Best sin yeah. I've ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we love just, that. Just um, yeah. normally quite like religious or quite but, preaching. You know, it, it, it's so few and far between. Yeah. I think we are very, very and, lucky, and indeed. we don't care really because no, I it's don't like, care. well, that what does, am I gonna do? You know, reason. That's never really hurt me. No. That's never hurt me because I just think, well, that's your opinion. You're entitled to it, but that's just your opinion. Like, mm. I, I, it does mm. not bother me at all. Uh, obviously, it's not very nice to read if someone passionately says something mm. really quite negative about about who you are as a person. But, um, you know, we've been so lucky over the last 10 years. We've never really had uh, any, any kind of hate, have we? No. I think, if anything, if we'd ever experienced homophobia, it would be like mild discrimination rather than our audience actively being horrible because our audience are accepting. Well, of that's course. we've I mean, garnered an audience that yeah. are LGBTQ+, exactly. they're accepting people. And we're very lucky too, I will say, because our audience are a really kind bunch yeah. of people. They're very respectful of each other. You know, we can see how they engage, you know, online with each other when we meet up at events back in the day when you could meet people face to face. You know, they all make these connections um, from our videos and that brings me so much joy. You can see that in the comments. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's great. That and they'll like they... comment on the back of each other and it's totally. like it's... I, the only reason I reacted is that I, and I guess it's a different thing, but if you put stand up online, mm. you don't read the comments. Right. right. Because, oh, like, you, you just don't read the comments. Do you know, I've got, I, I was going to ask you, Susie. I was Do you ask read you, reviews then? Is it, is it tough being a stand up comedian? Like, just because of, of, of people being offended? Um, I haven't had another job for a really long time. Right. Um, so it's very normal to, be, to me now right. to people to have an instant reaction to something I'm doing. Right. So have you had to develop like a thick skin over your career? Oh yeah. I mean I've been hom- I've been homophobically heckled in oh. like most towns across the country oh. at some point. So really? they, so you're saying that they paid to come and see you and then they were homophobic. When it's usually when it's on like a mixed bill. Right. And okay. so like right, so earlier in oh. like nowadays I tour but like earlier in my career actually I'd still do mixed bills now. Mm. Um but I had some really tough stuff early doors where someone shouted out I could fuck you straight. Oh, oh my oh, god. My god. The audacity. I asked the venue to put the lights on and I asked him to stand up and I explained all the reasons why he wouldn't be the one to fuck me ah! straight. Oh my God, well that done. That is beautiful. I was what a really... moment. What a moment. Yeah, I came off stage and I was so horrible to him I felt like I needed to take a shower. Ah! <laughs> well, I, I was like, that was it. the meanest I've ever been. But he'll never shout at a lesbian again. No, I think well, that's we hope. I think you owned yeah. it. He'll never shout at a queer person again. Wow. But yeah, I think like... You do, like you know, so it, it's sort of similar. You know, our sort of life, our work life does sort of cross over in places because you share yourself and you. I mean, it, t- it took me quite a long time to develop a thick skin. Certainly, when it comes to the homophobic stuff and people shouting out, sure. which is something, because I think that if I was just like <laughs> a surprise on the bill, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know. But now, now on tour shows, I had, I did have some weird homophobia at a tour show once. Which was really strange because he had paid specifically to watch me for an hour and a half, How odd. and like I've got, I've got sort of a fifty-fifty 
straight and queer audience and it was really sad because there were clearly some very young lesbians there and I was just like oh I don't want you to have to experience this so you have to carry that that's hard yeah but also it wasn't your fault they were experiencing it no and they are going to experience it no no totally I I, I made them wait afterwards and made sure they were okay that's really nice but does that mean that you then have the responsibility of making sure that your queer young audience haven't been affected by these you know odd you know assholes that just decide to pipe up do you know it's funny you say about pressure because that was one of the next questions I was going to ask you guys is that do you now have like this pressure to be let me word this right because I don't want this to come across in a negative way because I think because how I said to you before I I genuinely mean about you guys being such a positive thing that's in the world I'm so pleased you guys exist and the channel exists but is there like a pressure on that to be like like you were saying before Rosie you were saying about um, like you know we wouldn't put the channel before our relationship is there like a pressure for it to continue existing because all these people love it and obviously it's your job now but taking that slightly out of the equation because you know jobs will change and things will evolve like mm-hmm. things constantly evolve online like is there a pressure to like these people that absolutely love you that tune in every week that are like I want to know everything tell me tell me everything now I want to you know yeah. is there is there a um, pressure there the only pressure I feel is that um the way YouTube works best is it likes you to upload really regularly and I would love to upload less videos but even better content right so I'm sure as a stand-up you probably go away and build your comedy routine um, I know yeah, I mean, probably... a lot of it, that you write a lot of shit yeah. and then you might get like, out of 10 pages of shit, there'll be one page that's like, that's almost funny. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm, sure I'm sure there's ad lib as well, but you know, you, you, you live life and that, you know, uh, that's how you get your comedy, right? Right. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, um, totally. the only annoying thing is, is that YouTube is like a machine that is churning out all this content daily. So it's not my audience that put me under pressure. It's that to continue on YouTube, you have to do that. You have to mm. work quite hard. And I would rather, um, you know, Live. yeah, <laughs> so that you can comment on your experience. Yeah, because um, we used to. Yeah, like if you go on holiday, do you have to take a camera? Do you know what? we don't we, have to? We but... don't have to, but we all we always say we won't film on holiday. We'll have a holiday, but actually, we one miss filming because we do it all the time, and two, we're like, ah. Oh, I want to film. Yeah, it's funny. We love filming. This is why I know we're doing the right thing by continuing this job because we genuinely love documenting stuff. For us, though, you know, for us. Yeah. So if we we went to Catalonia a few years ago and we were like, we're not going to film. We're going to have a nice break. We're going to just like totally detach. And then we ended up filming the whole thing and having a great time. And we were like, oh, well, we've got that now and we can always watch that. Yeah, you know? and we enjoy our jobs and some of our best memories are filming certain things, even for people who might not believe it. But uh, we filmed um, during the pandemic last summer, we filmed a brand deal with... Um, um, LG. LG, a laptop. And that was one of my best memories of the summer. <laughs> one of my best memories. We just had so much fun We have fun it. being creative. We enjoy, if we do something scripted, we enjoy that. If it's yeah. not, it's not. We bought a drone to try and be like really professional and get these drone shots and just us trying to like pilot this thing. It was so much <laughs> yeah, fun. It was a great memory. It was like but, summer. But back to your original question, sorry to digress, but with the yeah. pressure thing with the LG. No, I love the digressing. I love the digressing. Much of a pressure until someone called us role models, and I thought, "Whoa, that looks yeah, like that I have said that I am a role model, and I've never said that." But now I think, now I think that it's a lovely thing to be called a role model, and I would, mm-hmm. I would love to be considered a role model. Um, I don't feel like there's pressure though, because I feel like because I've always just been myself, and Rosie's always just been herself. We don't have to act 
act a certain no. way to to fulfil this role model status. I, I, I will also add, we feel pressure when... Um, so things like um, live tours and um, live yeah. panels, um, a lot of pressure, because I remember my first ever panel we did mm. at Summer City, and this is like in 2014. And again, you know, you are my first, you know, proper same-sex relationship. Mm. So, you know, I don't have all this experience, you know, I was really young and we went on a panel and someone put their hand up and said, I've got a question for Rose and Rosie. And we were like, yeah. And they were like, I live in Russia. And at the time, um, there was this terrible uh, homophobia going on, on in Russia, like terrible, terrible things were happening. I mean, yeah, I think there's still stuff going on there. Yeah, yeah. Now. I mean, yeah, it's pretty horrific for queer people. Yeah, I'd specifically read something terrible um, on the news about gay people having their teeth pulled out, like something terrible. Mm. Like, um, and they said, uh, I'm from Russia and I want to come out. What should I do? Oh. And I was like, I don't no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Excellent question. Like, yeah, you know, how can I act that I, and I, be responsible for... I don't want to give someone the wrong information no. and then them be in trouble. Panels are actually... Live events, um, especially LGBTQ plus panels, are one of my biggest kind of most nerve-wracking experiences yeah. because I always want to be saying the right things um but obviously you don't know what you're going to get asked it's all live you mm -hmm. haven't got a lot of time to think and um i think in terms of pressure those are the most yeah. highly pressured scenarios and as much research as you can do i don't know all the rules and regulations of every single country and i don't know everything about everything like i'll try and be as updated as i can and that's a pressure mm. That's a pressure. Mm, you know, I'm sure you've had it from other people as well. Like, I get people emailing in this show saying, how shall I tell my mum I'm gay? Mm -hmm. And you sort of go, I, I can't tell you that because yeah. I didn't do a great job with my mum. Yeah. So I don't know how I can tell yeah. you to do a good job with yours. Right. Yeah. It's really hard. <laughs> like, and it's all circumstantial. So it's really yes. difficult to say, well, there is only one way and this is the way to do it. You yeah, know, it's pe tough. People send us messages with different religions, different cultural backgrounds, um, but all different we can circumstances. Do is, is, is offer our support, you know, either mm -hmm. way. And, and Yeah, you know, totally. And, and we always try and say you know before you you know don't feel like you have to act you know you, why don't you just sit there with yourself for a while and get comfortable being you just for a while anyway so you feel more confident for for when you are going to come out that you know you're happy inside and that's that's the first and foremost thing to do right mm -hmm. be comfortable um, with you right, th there is a lot of pressure and we don't have all the answers but you know? wh while we're talking about pressure Susie I'd love to turn it around because um I get incredibly nervous for our li live tours right like I get angry and say <laughs> I'm quitting I'm quitting YouTube. I regret it all. I'm going to go home and get a really the most boring job I could possibly find. And I'm just going to live my life like that. I get so angry. And then at the end of the show, I'm like, oh my God, let's do it again. I'm like, I can't yeah. sleep. Like, yeah. can't come down from the adrenaline. So um, are you the same? Like, What's your process, Have you got Susie? used to live touring? You probably do a bit more than we do. So in normal times, I'll probably do about 200 gigs a year. Wow, that's, that's a lot. Oh we, thought, we, <laughs> we did like 10 shows once. <laughs> but that, no, that, that, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be all my own tour. I don't do that many tour dates by myself, but because I gig and I'll be yeah. like working up material and then I'll be going around the country, I sometimes open for bigger acts. Right. So I'll go and open for Josh Widdicombe or Alan Carr or whoever else and right. go on the road with them as well. So I go on stage as much as you, well, probably more, more than you guys upload, <laughs> no, but upload videos. Like I would be right. very nervous to do a YouTube video. Oh really? Well, that makes sense though. Like I would be very nervous because I would just be like, oh God, I'm going to be shit. I'm going to be really bad at this. I don't know how to be me. Ah! Um, like, no, do you know what? I don't think it's that though. I don't think it's that you don't know 
you know, what you do. I think it's just because you can't predict what a new audience on a totally different platform will be like. I think that's, yeah. that's what it is. I'd be nervous yeah. to start. This is why I haven't started TikTok. First of all, I don't understand it. Second of all, I feel like I'm too old. And third yeah, of all, me too. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I honestly feel like if I started it, a whole new platform now, I just, I'm too nervous, too nervous. I'd probably be great. No, but almost <laughs> certainly. But Rosie, sorry, to answer your question properly, I got really nervous for a really long time to the point where sometimes I would pull over and be sick at service stations. Yeah, oh. yeah. So I was so, so, I, so I, I used to get very, very nervous. Now, if I'm doing something like a big TV show, like I did The Last Leg last week mm. and that's live on Channel 4 on a Friday. How? And so that's like... So like I know the subjects we're going to cover because I've read the news that week. So I've got I've got gags on each of those, but I can't have notes because there's no death. I can do it. So then you're just like in the moment trying to be really funny. And so that's just before they go. Susie Ruffles one of our guests tonight. Then I have a moment of complete calm. Then the whole time I'm doing the show, I'm completely calm. And then when I come off stage, I'm like on a massive high. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And so. So, but with like just gigging regularly, just turning up at gigs and doing them live, I think just because you get so used to it. Right. But I still get, I still, I still really enjoy it, and I get nervous when I'm trying new stuff. I think that's yeah. good. I think nerves means that you care. And oh, if you but care, too many is uncontrollable. I do, I do hate it's them. It's the diarrhea for me and for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And listen, I think a pre-performance poo is very normal. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. think you should have. I think PPP is very uh, normal. Yeah, Definitely. and you had yeah. one during, didn't you? That I, time? Yeah, was one that Toronto. No, it was in. New, it was our last one in New York. It was our biggest one. <laughs> I uh, she had to come off on stage. I realised, wow, I need to hold this clench, else, <laughs> Don't who knows part. what will exactly. happen. Oh, that happened on stage. Yeah, oh, on yeah, stage, yeah. yeah. And then we had an interval. And so did you leave the stage? Oh, we had an interval. interval. Yeah. I had to the run off. But we were like... filming our documentary at the time. Yeah. So we had cameras following me and they wanted to like talk to us. And I was like, go away. Just overshare and deal with it, <laughs> yeah, Rosie. Yeah, I know. You know it's what I mean? terrible. Yeah, come on, Rosie. Be brave, for God's sake. Come on, mate. <laughs> but yeah, that happened. So... You just never know, do you? Before we before we finish, I would love to talk to you a little bit about your podcast and also about like I how you're documenting uh, your sort of journey to parenthood. Yes, it's it's so great to see queer women, be, like or queer people rather, being parents. Like you know, ho- however they they choose to do it. Yeah. And was that something that you thought? Did you know? Did you always know that you wanted to become mums? And did you always know that you'd share it? Um, I I actually never really felt that maternal no me neither up. we didn't was, we didn't want to become no, we was, said no didn't we we, we were like no 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 we are doing everything we want to do we don't want to have any responsibility yeah. and then that cliched moment of when you get to sort of like early 30s it doesn't happen for everybody but it does happen for some people we were like oh my mm-hmm. god I want a, I want a baby yeah it just changed <laughs> I have absolutely no wisdom to pass on but I would love to have yeah. a child yeah you things know? shifted our priorities changed we were like oh okay yeah. We weren't planning on this, but fine. Exactly. And I, and I think it was that point where we were like, do you know what would be really valuable as well? To document our journey because we have no idea how to do this. The information is seriously lacking. It's very confusing. It's very different yeah. depending on where you live in the country. The information was terrible. Yeah, can you explain that? Could you explain that, how it's different, please? Whereabouts are you based? We don't need to keep this in. So we're if in you don't tell no, we can't. <laughs> no. We can't. We're in the Cotswolds. Yeah. yeah we're oh, in the Cotswolds. lovely. Yeah, so we're quite sort of rural. We live near... Rural. 
Natalie Imbruglia, who's also in the Cotswolds, who <gasps> hasn't she just adopted? No, she or did she surrogate? She's just had her first baby at forty-five with a sperm donor. That's a sperm enough. donor. That's it. I that's think why that's I know. accurate. We'll have to check that. I'm yeah. sure that you can knock on the door. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, like, yeah. We're you know kind of doing a similar thing. Yeah. yeah. Hi. <laughs> we have a lot. Natalie, of it's been a yeah. while. I'm desperately trying to find something to use torn alongside <laughs> yeah. giving birth. I mean, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to yes. do it. But that is how my, my brain is sort of trying to find <laughs> that, a joke. That's hundred percent a connection. <laughs> so there were, uh, there are some um, uh, queer people on YouTube having documented having children, but all the ones I knew of are in America or other countries, mm-hmm. and so it's different. They have totally different system. Yeah. You know, they have different things like insurance. Like it's done differently. Mm. So we had no idea how to start, and I think this is what led us to making the podcast. Mm. Is that um, so? We were like, okay, we've decided. We now decided we want children. Change of plan. What now? What the hell now? And I went to my doctor. I was there for a routine checkup anyway, and I said, oh, um, if me and my wife want to have a baby, where do we go? And my doctor was like, I don't know. Sorry. Don't know. And uh, yeah, my daughter was like, I don't know. And I was like, okay. And then in the end, we randomly happened to have a lawyer, an entertainment lawyer who is happens to be in a queer relationship as well. And so we were like, what did you do? And they were like, well, we went to a talk at this place in Brighton. Yep. Uh, and uh, so she was like, so you could of start course. there? Of yeah. course. Yeah, right, yeah, right, of yeah, course. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we went along to this talk in Brighton. It was like an open evening yeah. um, for... But it's specifically for, for queer for women, wasn't queer, it? Queer women, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was all about sort of... I like, haven't been to an open evening in years. Oh, it was oh, very nice. It was really nice, It actually. was a really nice day. <laughs> we went on our anniversary, did we? did on our wedding anniversary. Yeah, we actually did. Yeah, we did got more information it wasn't all the information but no. we knew sort of how we had to start the process you know pick a sperm bank first um the clinic is not the sperm bank you nope. have to have the sperm shipped to the clinic and the clinic has to accept your sperm bank certain clinics don't work with certain banks certain clinics have their own sperm yeah, bank there's a lot of politics be, there is it uk eligible sperm because yep. some sperm that you might you might fall in love with a sperm donor online and, and then you might not, not be able to get it shipped to the uk yeah there's lots or of you might have to plan to travel abroad to be inseminated abroad yeah so there's lots and lots going on and mm-hmm. also it's astronomically expensive and there are many different routes and it depends on your body and yeah. what, what you're capable of there's IVF there's yep. IUI there's yep. um, other things there's a different type of IVF there's several IVFs there's a lot to learn um, there's surrogacy there's adoption and then also um, when we looked into the adoption route as well yep. and then another thing is other than the Brighton clinic uh, I did try calling a local Cotswold clinic and they definitely weren't catering for queer people because um, I was oh, like hi um, I'm calling because I, I want to try and make a baby uh, you know I kind of like rang up like hi Gemma I've got some paper mache. And she was what like, do I do? And she was like, <laughs> and I was like, um, I was like, do you do IUI? Because on the website it only said IVF. So IUI is just for people who don't know, is just like putting sperm into into you. It's like artificial insemination. Yeah. Uh, so kind of like sex, but with like like a turkey baster. <laughs> but that's not IUI. Quite as romantic. IVF's a bit different, where they take out the egg yeah. and then they put it back in. Um, and so I was like, oh, on your website, so you're local. I saw you do IVF, but do you do IUI? And the woman went, we don't even know if you need it. Have you been investigated? And I was like, oh, I need it. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, like, yeah, they, like they immediately she, assume we had fertility issues. Yeah. So it wasn't even, the fact yeah. that we were gay wasn't even remotely no. considered. They and were so like, we were oh. like, oh, we're not, 
we're not going to go with you guys I don't think you're quite ready for us yet Uh, so it's been really it's been quite difficult where we live but I I think it's different if you if you do live in Brighton maybe it would be easier and I wanted people to know how to do it without literally following this like weird clue like kind of trail of crumbs and it would be really great if we could tell people you'll get a key inside the house there'll be a booklet yes on the booklet (laughs) there is a number you call that number yeah like exactly And how has that been, sort of sharing? Because I know that it's been a journey to get there. Like, how's that been, sort of sharing everything? I've actually really enjoyed sharing everything. Um, it was difficult when we lost a baby because obviously we 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 couldn't really not share that because we're oversharers anyway. I didn't feel like I had to, but I feel like it was really important to. And um, I think that's been the hardest bit of the journey to share, but also one that we didn't think you know, wouldn't happen. We, we, we obviously thought, well, the baby process is very, very up and down for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Nothing is clear cut. And um, just if you, you know, if you have a positive pregnancy test, that does not necessarily mean you have a baby. Mm-hmm. And I think those were lessons we had to learn. And I do think that we've, you know, drawn a lot of attention to the possibility of having a miscarriage and what to do in that situation. So I feel like hopefully that horrible experience has 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 opened up conversation around it because you know one of my biggest grievances about having a miscarriage was the misinformation that I received um about what it would be like and now I realize it would be different for a lot of people at, at different stages of pregnancy but we've heard this from a lot but, of other people though who've had a miscarriage that they weren't yeah, told what almost, it was going to be like exactly and there's almost this element of shame around mm. it and I really wanted to break that down and, and be like you know what you know you, you guys didn't do anything wrong if you've lost a baby through a miscarriage you know it's just one of those unfortunate things and and I think we did a really good job in, in bringing that to the you know the focus but um I've really enjoyed the whole process it's actually been quite therapeutic for me anyway from last year's terrible experience yeah. um, and also it was just the next step like like we said we started off 10 years ago dating kind of being ridiculous in 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 my flat you know just <laughs> chatting and they've watched us get engaged and get married and now we're going through the baby making journey yeah. and I think that it's only natural that yeah. we want to share. Yeah, and also I want I wanted to highlight, you know, that our our journey has been so positive, but life isn't always amazing. And I think that it's that's something very real and raw about sharing the times where it's sad and, you know, bad things happen sometimes. So, you know, I love our podcast. I think I'm hoping it's it's helping a lot of people on their journeys, you know, whether it's, you know, in the creation of a baby or or if anyone suffered from loss. So I'm really happy that we've done it. Yeah. I think it's great. I think it's great. Um right, the final question of the show and um I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you slightly different moments. So, Rose, for you, mm-hmm. when you were that sort of shy child at school, you, you maybe had just realised you're gay. You're 14. If you could go back and give either that girl or someone like you, if you don't want to, right? Gokwan had a bit real issue with going back and talking to himself because he thought it would change oh. his life. So it could be someone that's in a similar position to you now. If you could give them a little bit of advice, what would you say? Oh, that's a very good question. I would say. I'd say go easy on yourself because it's very easy to really freak out when you're uncertain of of how you feel about things. And I think that if you just allow yourself the time to grow inside as a person, don't feel like you automatically, immediately need to share the way that you're feeling uh, with all of your family if you don't want to. If you think that it would bring you comfort in some way, then by all means go for it. But feel like 
I feel like sometimes people think, oh, I might be gay. I I, I immediately need to tell people um, mm. for other people to validate who I am. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you don't need to yeah. do that. I think it's important to to sit there and really love yourself for being you and, 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 and really kind of get rid of any shameful feelings you might have about yourself before you decide to include people on a really special secret and something that makes you a really amazing person and I, I just feel like you know that's that's yours to own that's that's precious to you and and and, and treat it like other people's gift to know that would be my advice mm. that's beautiful thank you that is perfect actually and and Rosie I noted that throughout the uh, interview when you when you spoke about sort of your first relationship being with, with a woman being with Rose and that you were you know, uh, maybe a bit anxious about it or worried about going into that. If you could go back to that version of you, so I guess like 10 years ago now, and give her a bit of advice, or someone like you, if you agree with Gok, um, <laughs> what, what would you say? I think I'd tell myself that um, I don't have to worry about lack of experience with other women because there's no right or wrong way to be in a same-sex relationship. Yeah. And so I was so freaked out because I kind of entered this world of lesbianism, like Rose showed me like the L word and stuff like that. And the Bible. it was all this culture <laughs> yeah. about like U-Hauls and cats and, and all the lesbian stereotypes. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I've no idea what's going on. But actually it doesn't matter because yeah, that has no effect because no. your relationship's gonna be different with whoever you're with and whoever yeah. you are and and so I think I'd say to myself, stop worrying and chill out and just do yeah, and just, just enjoy. Be. Yeah, just enjoy it. Yeah. It all works out in the end. Yeah. <laughs> that is the perfect way to end the show. Um, all the best with uh, with the baby. Aww. And uh, yeah, uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you both. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. It's been really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I want to stay forever. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that conversation with Rose and Rosie. They're just brilliant. They're a pair of absolute legends. If you haven't checked them out on YouTube, you have to, you must. And um, I can really highly recommend their podcast, Rose and Rosie Parental Guidance. They're an absolute pair of legends. I love them. And if you're looking for another recommendation of a podcast, I can highly recommend The Logbooks. Absolutely brilliant. It's about the um, the logbooks that exist within the Gay and Lesbian Switchboard. They go through different sort of times. So I think they start in the 70s and the 80s. Series two has started just before Christmas, I think. And um, the first three episodes are about the AIDS epidemic and how they re- sort of responded to it and reacted to it and helped people. And it's just brilliant. It's such a brilliant piece of history. And I've absolutely loved both series. So that comes highly, highly recommended from me if you're looking for something new. If you want to get in touch with me, please do. You always can. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Get in touch uh, if you like. Thanks again to all of you that have got in touch. Please rate and review the podcast if you have time. And I will chat to you next week where I have another, oh, I have a brilliant guest for next week. I'm very excited to share them with you. And I'll speak to you then. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.